So we are continuing uh, this message series uh, themed Great Joy for All. And this is, again, our Advent season as we continue to light candles and working our way up to Christmas Eve. And again, we will complete the Advent wreath by lighting the, the, the Christ candle in the middle on Christmas Eve night. Um, but as we do that, we've been walking our way through the Christmas story and studying it, uh, and, you know, in, in different aspects in different ways. But our theme verse uh, this year uh, is Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Again, this is where uh, the shepherds are visited by angels, and they come and announce the coming of the Messiah and, and tell them that their reaction when the angels showed up was one of fear and confusion. Again, just as we saw two weeks ago when we started this series, it wasn't just the shepherds, but it was also Mary and Joseph when the angels show up and tell them this plan of the Messiah being born and what their role was going to be and all these things was they also had a reaction at first of fear. And so many times we can have that reaction when things are happening that we have no idea what it's about or something that's something we don't understand, we have that reaction of fear. But here in Luke 2.10, the angels reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And here the angel invites the shepherds and all of us to that we can trade in our fear for joy. He says, don't be afraid, but yet have joy because what is happening is for all people and it is good news. Right, that, that again, God is, is through this, this baby is, is working his plan of redemption to save all of us. And this is good news. Right, and again, the Christ child was born of the Holy Spirit, and yet this child grew up to be a man that would have a public ministry, right, as the person of Jesus, right, and live a sinless life and then die on a cross. And rise again on the third day so that we can be saved. And because of this miracle, again, we can turn in our fear for joy. We can trade it for joy. Now, there are many aspects to joy. And throughout this Christmas season, we're looking at the different parts when all combined add up together to be joy. There are lots of different parts of joy. And again, we've looked at, at all these different parts of uh, again, these last few weeks. And now today, we light the candle of joy in the Advent wreath. And when we, again, focus on this word and on this concept that it brings. Okay, today we're going to look at how joy needs purpose. Okay, for joy to happen, joy needs purpose. Now, purpose is is why we live this life, of why we get up in the morning. What are we going to do with our time? Why has God put us on this earth? Right, because he's given us a purpose, right? We were created by God on purpose, and we were created for a purpose. And now we, again, need to find out from God what that purpose is. And when we know why we were put on this earth and what we're going to do with our time on earth until we get to be with heaven, then we can live into that purpose. And the more we do that, the more joy we will find. Now, when you think about this, again, this 
this Christmas story and, and think about Mary and Joseph. And we looked at their story specifically on the first week and looked at when the angel showed up to Mary and when the, again, the angel spoke to, to Joseph in a dream and, and told them about the Christ child and, and how their lives were going to change dramatically from this moment on. And yet they, again, received a purpose from God and saying, this is going to be the new purpose of your life. Again, they had a plan. They were on a journey themselves, and they were moving forward in life. And then all of a sudden, God shows up and gives them a new purpose. Now, um, in the midst of of all of this that's happening, and again, they, they accepted this this, uh, this, this job from God is saying, hey, it's your job to parent the Messiah of the world, right? And, they're, and they're, their purpose changed, and then they lived into that, and we, we see all of the events of the Christmas story, right? And then not just though those events, and we see, you know, again, they, they work through the pregnancy and, and their marriage, and then the, the shepherds show up in the manger, and then the wise men show up later, and, and there's all of these events are happening, and then we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, kind of at, at the end of the Christmas story, I mean, after all these things happened, there's this, this statement about Mary. It says, Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Hey, now, again, as we think, we're like, what's really going on here? I mean, why, why does Mary keep storing all of these events in her heart? And why does she go back and think about them often? Well, Mary needs to be reminded and encouraged of the purpose that she is living into, right? Because her life, again, has changed dramatically when these angels show up, right? And suddenly she's pregnant and and working through, and again, marrying Joseph, and then raising Jesus, right? Her purpose in life was completely different when Jesus showed up. Now, again, later um, in Jesus' life, when Jesus was 12 years old, this is one of the few stories that we have in Scripture about Jesus' childhood. Okay, in, in Luke chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, there's a story uh, when Jesus was 12 and, and the, the family travels to Jerusalem to go to the temple. Okay, this, was, this was a yearly tradition. They went there, and then they're traveling back to Nazareth, and, and they realize that Jesus is not with them. And so then they go back a few days later, they end up back in Jerusalem, they find Jesus in the temple, and you can imagine the parent lecture that Jesus receives from Mary and Joseph in this moment. But again, that was their job, was to parent Jesus, and you can imagine that that they were upset with Jesus. And yet you can, you know, think about, and again, if you're a parent, you know that lecture, right? Like, what were you thinking? You put a, you know what you put us through. There's all, you know, all of these things, right? And yet this time that Jesus was in the temple, he was interacting with the teachers and the rabbis and, and talking with them and, and even teaching them. And again, as it says that, that all of the rabbis and teachers in the temple, they tell Mary and Joseph, they're like, we cannot believe what this kid knows, Right? And the wisdom that he has and, and all this. And so you can imagine even Mary Joseph in that moment being kind of torn. right? Like I, I'm incredibly upset at my kid. And yet all of these rabbis and religious teachers and people we respect highly like have all these great things to say about him. Right? And yet in the midst of this conflict within her heart, literally at the end of that story, it's, we see this phrase one more time. It says, his mother stored all of these things in her heart. 
Again, when we think about, again, this, this role and this purpose that Mary was given, this God-given purpose for Mary was very specific for her to accomplish. She was to mother the Son of God. And the Christmas story not only changed Mary's life plans instantly, but it also gave her a whole new purpose in life. Right? It's her purpose changed that day. Now, again, when you see that this is not, again, a coincidence, right, that they're saying, you know, why does she have to put all these things in her heart? Well, because she had to be reminded of her purpose, right? And it's easy to get distracted from whatever purpose God has given us. Okay, and this is a very kind of famous quote um, in our culture. Again, lots of people have said it, but it says, there are many things in life that will catch your eye, but only a few that will catch your heart. Pursue those. I know when you think about that and think about, again, our God-given purpose for life, just like Mary, we have to take these events when we get a confirmation from God or an experience that, that pushes into our God-given purpose and reminds us of what that is. We need to store those things in our heart, right, and not be distracted by all these other things of the world and, and things that can get us off track and off of our journey and say, no, I'm focused on where God is leading me in my faith journey, and in my life, and my time here on earth, right? Because we all have a purpose. Again, we were created on purpose and for a purpose, right? And yet, when we are doing life apart from God, right, before we accept Christ our Savior, we, before, again, our, we join the journey of faith, we are, we're moving further away from God. We have our back to God, and we're, we're moving through our life and our path and our purpose, our self-guided purpose that's taking us away from God. And yet, when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we open that gift of salvation, and we re invite him into our life, and, and confess our sins, and he enters, then we make a 180-degree turn in that journey of life, and we join the journey of faith. Right, to where we are facing God and our journey is moving closer to God every day. Yet again, in that earthly journey, that faith journey does not end until we are with God in heaven. And that's where this earthly journey ends, right? And our new heavenly journey starts. And so now, though, what do we do from that moment we join the journey and we face Christ and we start moving closer to him every day? What do I do with that time from that moment until my journey ends with God in heaven? Right, and that is where our purpose comes in. What do I do with that time on earth, right? From when I receive Christ as my Savior, I join the journey of faith, and I move closer to him every day. What am I going to accomplish with those days? Because when we join the journey of faith and we accept Jesus as our Savior, it also gives us a new purpose in life. When Jesus becomes a part of your life, the destination of your journey changes. Right? When we receive him as our savior, right, the destination of our journey becomes Jesus Christ. Right? And that is our core value number one. Right? Is that my journey is focused on Christ. And I'm going to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. Right? Because if I wake up still breathing, then God has a reason for me to be here. And I need to continue to journey in that day and every day in that because to fill, fulfill the purpose that God gives me. Hey, because we know, again, that if Jesus becomes a part of our life, then our destination of our journey changes. That was certainly true for Mary and Joseph. As soon as Jesus came a part of their life, the destination of their journey was different. They got a new purpose. Right? Also, we see that happens many, for many biblical characters. 
right? And we see when, when God shows up, suddenly their life pattern is different. They start in a new direction. And no one in the Bible knows this to be true more than the Apostle Paul. Okay, now the Apostle Paul was... Um, again, a guy who, well, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader at the time. In fact, he was doing everything he could to stop the gospel message of Jesus. And then God showed up in his life, and he did a 180-degree turn, right, and became one of the, the greatest evangelists and church planners that we've ever seen in the history of the world. And he ended up writing over half of the New Testament. Hey, and again, nobody knows better than Paul. Okay, and today as we, as we dive into this concept of our God-given purpose, I want to go today to this passage in Philippians chapter 3. Okay, Philippians is a book that Paul wrote. It's, in fact, he wrote it from a prison cell okay, near the end of his life. Okay, but in this passage, Philippians 3, um, he talks about, again, the purpose of his life and how, how much his life changed when Jesus was a part of it. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets. I'd love for you to grab one of those and open to Philippians 3. You can see the page numbers are included on your outline of where it is in that Bible. Okay, so as we're going to uh, read today, when you look at, think, keep this idea, this God-given purpose, keep this in mind. Okay, as we read Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, where it says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness... I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him and share in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Okay, now as we read, again, these, these words of Paul, again, this Paul writes this letter towards the end of his life, and he's literally in prison. He's chained as he's writing these words. And he's looking back on his life, and he's looking at his purpose and saying, like, hey, did, did I accomplish what God gave me to accomplish? Okay, and the truth is that Paul, again, continued to serve God with everything he had, even chained until his very last breath. 
Okay, and he had this God-given purpose, right, that God had given him. Right, and, the, and this, as I said, the purpose of his life changed drastically. I mean, that's exactly what he said in that passage. He's like, I was a Pharisee. I was, I was most zealous about persecuting anybody who followed Jesus. And then God showed up and changed everything for him. Okay, so again, what do we learn from Paul about our God-given purpose? Okay, the first thing is this. Okay, is that with Jesus, my purpose isn't defined by other people. Okay, it's not defined by other people. Again, Paul taught, said that in there, right? He's like, I followed the law. I followed everything that, that these religious leaders and Pharisees said I should do. I did it perfectly, without fault. Okay, I, I, I went down the road that other people defined. Right? He's like, but then Jesus came. Right? And, and then he said in verse 3, right? he says, but we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. And we put no confidence in human effort. Now again, I don't know about you, but I've experienced it in my life that everybody in this world has an opinion about what my life should be about. Right? We're, we are experts on other people's reason for living, aren't we? Right? Again, we have an opinion about what other people should be doing all the time. Right? But yet, if I follow Christ and I receive him as my Savior and I, I join the journey of faith and he changes my purpose, what they say about my life suddenly does not matter. What God says about my life is what is most important. Okay, what is my God-given purpose? My purpose does not, is not defined by other people. It is defined by what God needs me to do. Okay, and that's exactly what Paul says, right? He's like, I used to have confidence in that and now I have no confidence in that. In fact, if you just, just read kind of uh, some of those verses by themselves in the middle, is Paul sounds like he is an extremely arrogant person, right? And yet he's just saying all that to make the point of like, I, I have reason. I could be arrogant about my own efforts, but yet it means nothing to me. Instead, he says, I traded it and now it's garbage compared to what God wants me to do, my God-given purpose, Again, Paul goes on to explain how if any human could have ever come close to saving themselves, it would have been him. Right? He came the closest to accomplishing it of anybody else. And yet, he says now, he, has, he says, I have no confidence in human effort, including my own. Right? Because my purpose is not defined by any human. It is defined by God. Right? And what he's called me to do. Okay, and then we see when we accept this purpose, also with Jesus, he, he tells us that what I put value in changes. What used to be valuable to me, what I used to think was important, suddenly with Jesus, when I, when I make the 180 degree turn in life and I'm focused now on Christ, is things that used to really matter don't matter to me anymore. Right, what I put value in changes. Again, that's exactly what he says in verse 7. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Right? He's saying, I, I held value in all of these things, right? Again, we look, our world defines success in, in a lot of ways, and none of which has anything to do with God, right? And yet, he's looking at it saying, like, hey, I, I thought those were valuable, but now when Jesus changed my life and he gave me a new purpose, now I realize that they are worthless compared to what Christ has done, right? Completely worthless, right? And what I have value in completely changes, 
And as we're looking at this aspect of joy, right, this is the point where we realize that joy is very different than happiness. Okay, because the world strives to be happy. Right, but happiness is very different than joy. Happiness is circumstantial. Right, if I get the, the, the Christmas present that I really, really, really want, I will be happy. Right, that's circumstantial. If, I, if I, my circumstances are good, then I'll be happy. But you see, the problem is that happiness doesn't stay around because it's circumstantial. If my circumstances change, then so does my happiness. Right, but joy is lasting. Okay, joy lasts a whole longer than happiness. Again, if you ask somebody, go out to the mall right now and ask them, hey, what did you get for Christmas last year? Most people have no clue. Right now, were they happy about it when they opened it last year? Yeah, they were, right? But, but again, it, it left. It, it's gone. They don't even know what it was, right? But joy is lasting, right? Happiness is an emotion, and as we know, our emotions go up and down and around and all over the place. Our emotions come and go, but yet joy is a disposition, right? Joy is a, is, is a state of your heart, right? Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is not just an emotion. Joy is something that, as the angels tell us, right, is something that comes from God. It is lasting, right? And again, what we put value in changes because we're not, all, we're not trying to be happy, right? We, a fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy comes from God, and it's very different than happiness, then we also see, as Paul tells us about our purpose, is that with Jesus, my purpose isn't focused on myself. Okay, my purpose isn't focused on myself. Now again, a, a, a worldly defined purpose is self-centered. In fact, our world is self-centered. That is the, the core of our sin nature is selfishness. Okay, and in fact, we see again, our world is all about looking out for number one myself, right, about me being happy, about me finding the next good time, about whatever that would be, right, and, and our, again, what do I do with my days? Well, it's to, to ex exemplify myself if Jesus is not a part of it, but yeah, as soon as I join the journey of faith and I make a 180 degree turn in my, in my purpose and my faith, suddenly life is not about me at all anymore, right, that's exactly what Paul again tells us in verses 9 through 11, Right, where he says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Again, there's a few times in there Right, that he talks about how faith plays an, an incredible, important role in my faith journey, right? And in me joining the journey and in finding my purpose. It depends on faith. Again, I encourage you to circle or underline that word faith in that passage. It's in there a few times. Okay, because that is the key. That's where you start. That's how I, I, again, get not just get my sins forgiven and paid for, but it's also where my disposition moved from being selfish towards focused on God. Okay, again, faith is putting my belief and trust in something bigger than myself. 
The Bible defines faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Okay, in that verse, Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is being sure of what I hope for and certain of what I do not see. Being sure of what I hope for and certain of what I do not see. Again, what purpose am I living for? I'm, I'm certain that I have a purpose, and it's a God-given purpose. It is not a selfish one. It is a God-given purpose. Right? That my, my, the destination of my journey is Christ, to be holier and more Christ-like tomorrow than I am today. Right? And then Paul, in this passage, in these verses, goes in, and he gives us three things that describe a God-given purpose. Okay, the first of which is this. A God-given purpose starts with knowing Christ. Okay, it starts with joining the journey of faith, receiving him as my savior, right? Asking him to come into my life, inviting him into my life, confessing my sins, asking for forgiveness and saying, Lord, I want my life from this moment on. I want you to save me and redefine my life to be focused on you and not on myself, right? And, and Lord, I invite God in to know Christ. And again, that is the, the, the corner the foundation of our faith, right, is a relationship with God. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with your creator. Okay, and when we realize that, again, it starts with knowing Christ. Again, this is the number one purpose of our life, to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today, to get the focus off of me and onto him. Right, the part of, if I'm living into my God-given purpose, the more that I live into that, the less people see me and the more they see God. And it starts with knowing Christ. Again, this is our number one core value because it is number one. The destination of our journey has to be Christ, to know him and know him better every day. And then next, he says, now if I know Christ, then the next aspect of a God-given purpose is to experience God's mighty power. To experience God's mighty power. Again, as we, again, Paul says, he's like, I will know Christ and then I will experience his mighty power. Again, Paul experienced God's power in, in so many ways in his life. Okay, and now I will expen extend this question to you. When is the last time that you truly experienced God's power in your life? When's the last time that you truly experienced God's power in your life? Okay, I, and I will, I'll say, and it is my opinion, but I'll say it. Okay, if you don't instantly know the answer to that question, then you're probably not living fully into your God-given purpose. Okay, if you do not instantly know the answer to that question, then you're, you are not living fully into your God-given purpose. Okay, because our God-given purpose is one that's bigger than you, and that you cannot accomplish on your own power. Right? And if God's not showing up and doing stuff that you can't explain, then you're living more in our culture today than you are on, on your faith journey. Okay, because the truth is our culture today is entirely focused on safety and comfort. Okay, we live in a culture that is focused on safety and on comfort. And when everything is completely safe and comfortable, we don't need God's power. If that's what we're living for, if our purpose is focused on that, because, 
Again, if our purpose is not bigger than ourselves, it's not focused on ourselves, and if God doesn't need to show up and do it, if we can do it on ourselves, we don't need God. And then it's not a God-given purpose. Okay, and, and again, can we say, well, when our focus is, is on safety and on comfort, the truth is that the God we serve is not safe. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is just. He is holy. He is not safe. God is a lot of things, but he is not safe. Hey, and if your purpose in life that you're living for every day is one of safety, then it's probably not a God-given purpose. Hey, in, in, um, C.S. Lewis is one of the just incredibly um, great Christian author. He's written a, a ton of things. One of the things he wrote, he wrote a children's book series um, called The Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, one of those books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, okay, the kids go into this, this imaginary, you know, world of Narnia, and they're, they're going through, and now in this world, there is, it's an allegory of the gospel message, okay, and the Jesus figure in this story is a lion. His name's Aslan. Okay, now in, in, and I love this quote, in this book, okay, as these, the kids are there, and they're, they're, they first see Aslan, okay, and they ask these other animals that are taken there, and they ask them, and they're like, is he safe? They're like, he's a lion, he's an untamed lion, right, and yet this is the reaction, okay, that they get, the answer, safe, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, because he's the king, I tell you. Is God safe? God is not safe. But he is good. God is all-powerful. God is just and he is holy. He is not safe. But he is good. And he is loving. And his purpose for you, again, it's going to scare us. That's exactly what happened to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and all those people. It, it, it is scary. He's not safe, but he is good. And he promises to be with us, and he promises to, to give his power in our purpose. And we accomplish our purpose through his power, not our own. When is the last time you truly experienced God's power in your life? Because if you can accomplish everything in your life with your own power, then God doesn't have to show his if you can accomplish everything in your life with your own power, then God won't show his. When's the last time you truly experienced God's power in your life? And then we see here, not only does he say to know Christ, to experience God's power, and then he gives us the last one, which is kind of the hardest one to swallow. He says it's to suffer with him. Right? And again, in our safety and comfort culture, we don't like to suffer. And yet, um, just recently, I just finished reading a book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. Okay, and in that book, he, he talks about this, this righteous suffering. Okay, and I want to quote from him from page 139 of this book by Francis Chan, where he says, Jesus and the apostles were persecuted because what they said and taught was so countercultural. The culture of our world is just as ugly, if not more so, than it was in Jesus' time. And the teaching of the church should be radically different from that of the world. And there will be backlash. And church attendance might even decline, but the church will be purified. 
We need to return to a God-centered theology rather than a human-centered theology. And we need to be willing to flip some tables and suffer for it along the way. Right, and how many times do we make decisions for ourselves and even for our churches, right, on base to avoid suffering? And yet Paul tells us here that if a God-given purpose, that we will suffer with Christ. Again, our culture is very self-centered, and any purpose that is not self-centered is going to be countercultural, and we'll get some backlash. Again, suffering could look a lot, a lot in a lot of different ways. Suffering could be something as simple as not sitting in your regular seat in service because a new person sh- showed up and sat in your seat before you got there. Or suffering could look like staying a second hour on Sunday and serving instead of going home to watch football. Or it could be something much bigger than that, with much bigger backlash from the world. Again, the exact details of your God-given purpose are going to be different than anybody else's. Again, for the Christ child, his God-given purpose was to experience life as a human, to flip some tables, die on a cross, and come back three days later. For Paul, it was being a missionary to the Gentiles, starting churches, and ending his life in prison. Again, for me, it's pastoring this church. And for you, it's going to be something different. But no matter what the details are regarding your God-given purpose, it will include these three things. To know Christ, to experience God's mighty power, and to suffer with him in some way. And lastly, that the encouragement that Paul gives us as he concludes this passage is that with Jesus, I have motivation to keep moving forward in my journey because these three requirements don't sound all that inviting, do they? And yet he ends this in verses 12 through 14. Okay, where he says this, again, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Again, he was looking at his purpose as he's literally in chains writing these words and saying, I'm not going to give up on my God-given purpose until my last breath. Right? And that's exactly what Paul did. And I hope that we can follow his example and say, I have motivation to keep moving forward. If I wake up tomorrow, then I'm not done with my purpose yet. Right? And I will use every moment that God gives me on this earth in my earthly faith journey to fulfill what he's given me to do. And I hope that that can be our attitude today. Which brings me then to my final thought, which is this, and all the way back to where we started, Philippians 3.1. Whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord, and do it to safeguard your faith. The more you rejoice, the more you stay focused on your journey and on the right destination and your God given purpose, right? And you do it with everything you have every moment you're alive. 
Rejoice in the Lord and you will find true joy. Lord God, we come to you today, Lord, and that is our prayer. God, we come to adore you. And God, we come to thank you and praise you. God, for giving us a purpose. God, it's not about us, but it's about you and about sharing your love and your grace with this world that so desperately needs you. And God, I pray right now, Lord, that as we go today, Lord, that we would live into our God-given purpose with everything we have. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that you would keep us focused on you, Lord, especially during this Christmas season. And God, we love you. We thank you for all you do. Lord, guide us as we go. Thank you for giving us a purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.